Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Man, I am so thankful that you're in the house of the Lord this morning. This morning, I want to talk about the prophecies leading up to Jesus coming. And I want to try to restore to us, in our mind's eye, the wonder of Christ. The wonder of who He is. You know, many times in our day-to-day, we can have a very flat, two-dimensional, kind of dull look at the gospel story. You know, it can look like, you know, God was mad. Thankfully, Jesus stepped in. A plus B equals C. Now we can go to heaven. And I want to tell you, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than just coming to church and hearing a few songs and going about your week. And then hopefully you make it back next Sunday and hear about this man, Jesus, again. And maybe he'll forgive me. Maybe I can walk with him in the day to day. I want to tell you, he wants to be intimately involved in every detail of your life. He's in the little things. He's in every detail. He's in the story, the nativity story, a baby born in a manger. The smallest of details. The God of the universe wrapped himself up in human flesh as a baby. We have a one-year-old daughter. One of our daughters is one years old, and she, she's real small. And I just imagine, God, you humbled yourself in this way? What more beautiful of a story can you think of than the story of Jesus coming? There's a song that God put in my spirit this morning. I didn't even prepare to do this, Chess. And uh, thank God for the worship team this morning. Let's thank God for them. Chess and Sims, who's usually... You know, tickling the ivories back there, holding down the piano. So thankful for him. I can just text him at a moment's notice and he's ready to play a song. But I want you to sit. I have lyrics that are going to go up on the screen and I'm just going to sing a song this morning before I open. And I want you to read the lyrics. I want you to almost treat them as a prayer. This poem was written many years ago. And the, the, the lyrics to this song are so powerful. The beauty and the majesty of who God is. This is how it goes this morning. Just look up on the screen and meditate with me on this song. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts like flowers unfold before thee. Opening to the suns above Melt the clouds of sin and sadness Drive the dark of doubt away Giver of immortal gladness Fill us with the light of day And all thy with joy surround the earth and heaven reflect thy rays stars and angels sing around 
on the lyrics we just sang joyful joyful we adore thee God of glory Lord of love the flowers picture that in your mind the flowers open up as the light of God shines on us I want you to stand with me this morning as we open up with our text the glory and the beauty of God I want to restore to us the joy of our salvation this morning. I want to restore to us the wonder of the one we serve. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 8 reads this way. Read it with me. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Father, we come to you this morning. We adore you, Jesus. You are wonderful. You are great and greatly to be praised. Beside you there is no other. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will remain. You were here in the beginning, and you will be here in the end. And we will be holding your hands, step in step with you all the way. Let your word be the light unto our feet and the lamp unto our path this morning. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God for his word this morning. Just give him a hand clap of praise. You may be seated in the presence of God today. Man, I feel the spirit of preach on me this morning. I'm ready to just run into this, but I have some groundwork I need to lay before we dive into the meat of this message. I want to teach you a few things about the Bible this morning concerning the birth of Jesus and how the Bible is even laid out. Why is the Bible laid out the way it is? Why was time, you know, laid out the way it is? 
I'm going to give you just a few things before we dive in to the meat of our message today. I want to tell you the Old Testament, when we read the Old Testament, everything we read in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. Say Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. So when we get into the New Testament, if you look in at the book of John, he starts at the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He dives into it that way. And he is painting us a picture going back historically so we have context for what the future will hold in the coming of our King, Jesus. Anybody that is a Christian that tells you that the Old Testament doesn't matter, please stop listening to them. If you're listening to any voices that discount that, we need the Old Testament. It points to the Savior. It shows us why He came the way He came. It's the beauty of what the story is of redemption. And so we're going to look at some prophecies that point to the coming of our King. In Genesis 3.15, we see Christ will be our coming conqueror. And this is what it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel, telling us Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. It was prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin 700 years before his coming. Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We read that earlier. Pastor Scotty shared that with us. Emmanuel, God with us. At one time, God was out there. He was out here. I had to go find him. But now he lives inside of us. He's made his home in our hearts. The place of Jesus' birth was prophesied 800 years before his coming. In Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In our opening text, we read that Jesus was going to be all man and all God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Prophecy that gifts would be given to Jesus. We could go on and on and on of prophecies pointing to the coming of Christ. These are valid. This is truth. When we read the truth of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, we can believe it's true. And this is why. The chances of just any one person fulfilling only eight of the Messianic prophecies are like this. Imagine if you took the whole world, the whole world, and put one and a half inch tiles on the whole surface of the earth and placed a penny under one of those tiles. If you went out into the earth and was able to pick up one of those and find the penny... These are the chances of, of a person fulfilling only eight of the prophecies. And there are 109 specific prophecies that point to the first coming of Christ. And then on top of that, there's 300 general prophecies. Jesus is real. 
Jesus came and was born of a virgin. And today, he wants to have relationship with you. In the story of Jesus, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer would write, we find our stories. We don't have a story outside of the story of what Jesus did. His birth is significant. And our spiritual birth matters because Jesus was born. Jesus was born by the Spirit. It says, by the Spirit, Mary conceived by the Spirit, and the only way you and I come to know Jesus and are born again is if the Spirit draws us and we are born again. The only reason our baptism matters is because Jesus' baptism mattered. The only reason any temptation that happens in our life, we see any hope is because Jesus was tempted and overcame the enemy while he was a human. When we look at our lives, we cannot remove ourselves from Jesus. We have to decenter ourselves and put Jesus at the middle of our story and say, out of our relationship with him, everything else flows. The early church had a very great understanding of this, and the word they would use, the world was sacramental to them. The world was wonderful. It had meaning. It was sacred. What God was doing in their lives was sacred. And I want to ask the question this morning, is Jesus sacred to you? Has he ever been sacred to you? Has there ever been a real wonder in your relationship with the Lord? We'll look in just a few moments, Paul's talking to the church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, and he's telling them, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would, would be enlightened. The Amplified Version says, I pray that your eyes would be flooded with light so that you would see the goodness of God. And then we jump to Revelation, and John is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he tells them, because they didn't listen to Paul, you have, le you have left your first love. You didn't lose it, but you've left it. And I wonder today, have we left the wonder of our salvation? Have we left that first love that we remember and we centralize everything our family does around Jesus? How do you see Jesus this morning? In Exodus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I want you to pay attention to this part. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him. God saw him turn aside to look at what he was doing and then he called him in. He called him to the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus that I referenced earlier. And I'm only going to read one scripture here. 
that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened or your eyes would be flooded with light. Then he goes on at the end of this text that we're reading. He says, the fullness, he talks about the earth, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In everything you encounter, you can find God. The question is, are you looking? Am I looking? Are we seeing what he wants us to see? Moses had to relook. The Bible says at first he was walking by and, man, can you imagine? Some of y'all have rose bushes in your yard. What if you walked out in your yard one day? You're just getting ready for work. Most of us are about halfway late anyway. And we look over there and the bush is on fire. And we look once and then we take off walking again, but then we have to relook. This was how fascinating it was to Moses. He stopped and he re-looked. He looked again. Y'all remember COVID, when COVID happened? How many of y'all remember that? If you don't remember that, you must have took a long nap. You must have been hibernating. 2019 and 2020, the U.S. did a study. They did a poll, right? They did a poll. I've never met anybody that's been polled. I've never been polled. But suffice it to say, they did a poll. And at this poll, they did a poll concerning religious affiliation. Okay, they did a poll concerning religious affiliation. And in the first time in the United States history... There were more people who were non-religiously affiliated than ever before in the United States history. Do y'all remember when that stat came out? I remember my jaw hitting the floor, but then I was like, am I really that, you know, shocked? And so they do this stat. And when I ponder this stat, I'm like, what is going on in our nation? What is going on in our world? There was a group of people, they labeled these people the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, not like you know, nuns as we would think, but the N-O-N-E-S. They had no religious affiliation. But then language started coming out that said, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm not religiously affiliated, but I am spiritual. And people were assigning this longing that because God has put eternity a measure of faith in every man's heart. There is eternity placed on every person. If you have somebody in your life right now that you say, man, there's no way. They don't believe at all about God. They'll refute God to you straight to your face. I want to tell you they're bluffing you. There is a measure of eternity in every man's heart. And God is all the time giving us opportunities until his, until his next coming, until his second advent, his second arrival, he is going to give us opportunity to follow him. And I'm telling you, why, why would this happen? Why would this happen that so many people remove themselves from religious affiliation and then move into this other spiritual realm? Now, many times we have quick answers. We want to have snap judgments at stats like this. And I would say we need to be a more reflective big C church as a whole when things like this come out and really think about what's going on. When we do give snap judgments like this, we're not being helpful at all to the people that are being, you know, that are the statistic in this case. And so when we reflect on this and hear statistics and studies like this, we need to go to the Bible and see what it says about this. These people are being led astray. They're not religiously affiliated, but they're saying, I want to be. There's a longing in people's hearts to find something more than themselves. 
What is actually wonderful in the world? What is sacred anymore? I believe a lot of people can't find that. That's why we see suicide up. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 27 now. By the time I was about 22 years old as a pastor, I became a pastor when I was about 19, was ordained. I, I had done so many funerals of friends who had committed suicide or had just given up. And I thought to myself, I'd sit my wife and I would cry and be like, what in the world is going on? People are looking for something to live for. And I will tell you today, if we don't give them a more wonderful look at who Jesus is, they're going to keep looking. We have to be filled with wonder as believers or the world will continue to, to die and go to hell. We have to be filled with wonder again. When people ask you where you go to church or the Jesus you believe in, what do you tell them? Do you have anything to say? Do I have anything to say? How does this happen? YouTube, a long time ago, there was this video that came out. This was like on the early inception of YouTube. Uh, MySpace was probably still around. All that type of thing was still going. But they had this video that you would watch and it was called a selective attention experiment and they had three people in white t-shirts three people in black t-shirts and they were passing a ball all around to each other going in a circle and your goal a question pops up on the screen beforehand and it says how many passes did you count how many passes did you count and so you're thinking yeah I got it 15 that was it you get the right answer. You're like, I watched it. I, my attention was good. Then at the end it says, but did you see the gorilla? And you're like, the gorilla? Hmm, I didn't see a gorilla. Then they play it back. And all the while, while you were watching a certain thing, this gorilla, this guy in a gorilla costume comes out and he starts dancing on the screen. And you're like, how did I miss that? Because we see what we're taught to see. We do what we're taught to do. When we're not reflective, when we don't ask the right questions, when we really don't go into a detail about a thing, we miss what the thing is really about. This is what Moses did. He looked again. He saw God in something that everybody else just saw as a common bush. He saw God in the thing. And I want to tell you today, the life you're living that you feel like is common, do you see God in it anymore? Do you see God in your fatherhood? Do you see God in your marriage? Do you see God in your kids? Do you see God in your finances? Some of y'all say, I need to see more God in my finances, praise God. Do we see God in what it is we're doing? And that's what this season is all about. Finding God. In the mundane, normal things of life. He has arrived and he is arriving. This is Advent. I want to read this quote to you by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. It says, Earth is crammed with heaven. In every common bush, a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Another quote, heaven is always broadcasting, but are we listening? Heaven is always broadcasting, but are we listening? You know, we're hearkening back to the coming of the king. Hearkening back to when this all happened. And I want to say today, have we taken him for granted? Do we see him in the stories of old? 
Do we see him in all these Old Testament writings but fail to see him today? If we really want the people around us to follow Jesus and, and go after him with all their hearts, shouldn't we be filled with wonder at the God we serve? Shouldn't we be filled with wonder for the Jesus that we serve? Revelation 2, 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. John is writing to the same church that the Apostle Paul was talking to previously. The same one he told, I pray that wisdom and understanding would come to you, that the eyes of your understanding would be flooded with light. And now John is talking to them again and said, you left it. You left it. You didn't lose it. It wasn't by coincidence or by chance. It's not your parents' fault. It's not the church's fault. You left it. And today, have we left it? When we look at the beauty, when I read some of these writers that penned the Bible, I think to myself, listen to the beautiful writing. Listen to the poem that, we, that was written that we just sang. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Do we even understand and know how to put adjectives to what God is doing in our lives? That's how we become effective evangelists. Not by repeating A plus B equals C, but being in an organic outflow of God doing something in my life. That the tree of my life, that I am an oak of righteousness, that people can come rest under the shade of my tree. Can people come to you when they need you and say, you know, I don't see God anywhere else, but I see God in Him. And whatever He has, I want to have. And whatever that church has, I want to have. I pray that's, I mean, that's why I started coming to Summit Church. I had lost the wonder. I was searching for something significant and something that would never fulfill me. I was always good at music. I could turn to it. If I ever needed applause or praise, I could jump right to it. I could sing. I could play just about any instrument. Bam, I've got something that every time I need what I need, it delivers. Because I know I'm good at it. And I think we've gotten good at being religious and we've forgotten how to have a relationship with the real person, Jesus Christ. We've gotten good at coming to Sunday church. We've gotten good at walking out a good job. And man, my, my life is bad until the next promotion comes. Where is God in your day today? Where is, where is God in your diagnosis that you don't like? With the tough things in life. Where is he in that? Do you see him anymore? Are you sitting back and saying, if my life is bad, then surely God is not in it? I'm telling you, we've got some things going on in our life right now. Man, all hell is breaking loose. And me and Taylor will get to the end of the day and we'll say, without God, 
This thing will not happen. Without him, there's no way this is going to come through. Statistics show, I read this morning, and this has to do with, with monetary things, but this proves the point. People that don't have a lot of money are usually the most generous. They give more of themselves. Which proves to me that when we have to rely on God, when we have to rely on Him, our faith is stretched. And when we have plenty, we don't need Him. When we feel as if we have enough, God, I'll call you when I need you. I'll pick up the phone. He is like, you know, my lender that I call when I need something. And he'll, you know, he'll give me what I need when I need it. And I'll pay him back by going a few Sundays a year. That's what I'll do. Guys, I know this because I am West Texan. I grew up in this area. I grew up in Matador just down the street from this place. And I know what it is like to walk day in and day out with this American Christianity and lose my wonder of God. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your kids. And I think deep down you would say, I don't want that either. But we get caught in the motions. We see there are bushes all around our life, a fire with what God wants to do in our life, and we walk past them all the time. There it is. He's highlighting your purpose. He's highlighting what he wants for your kids, your job, opportunities, and we walk right by them because we've forgotten how to see him. We don't know how to see God because we don't even know who he is anymore. The reason why I preach this message this morning is to make us contemplative and meditate and think and stop and say, where is God anymore in my life? Where is he? How do I restore the wonder? How do I restore the wonder? He gives us the answer in Revelation, what I just read. He says, return to what you did at first. Return to what you did at first. Do you remember the first time you met him? You remember how it felt? You remember what it looked like? You probably remember what song was playing when you got saved. You ran up to the altar. So much snot and tears flowing. Man, I'm telling you what. I, when I first got saved, man, I, they couldn't pick me up off the floor. I needed him so bad. And I think to myself, where is the, the tears of first love gone? Where is the warmth in my heart when I think about the goodness of God anymore? There are times in my life where I get that way, but not here recently. Because day to day, he wants you to have that. Day by day. That's how these guys wrote poems like that. That's why when you read early church fathers, they had such a... And don't take this in a magical term. Get your mind out of that. We don't believe in that here. But they had such an enchanted view of the world and what God was doing in the world. They had a sacred view of what he was doing. It was sacramental to them. That's why baptism, when you get baptized, should mean something. It should mean something. You are buried with Christ. You are coming up out of the water, being resurrected with Christ. God wants us to have that. Not this two-dimensional, flat, dull look. 
I believe why we've seen that decline is because we've lost our wonder. Where is our wonder? I'm closing with this. God comes to us through Jesus. Jesus starts it out and fulfills prophecy. He lives a perfect life, a beautiful life filled with miracles and signs and wonders. In the day to day, as a lowly person, he was a carpenter. He just lived a life as a normal man, all man and all God, not separated from any temptation of this world. The Bible says he's not a high priest that doesn't empathize with our weaknesses, but he understands and knows everything you're going for, going through. He knows your needs before you even ask this morning. This is the God we serve. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Many of you in this room probably have a favorite song that you recite to yourself that shows you the beauty and the majesty of our King. Is He beautiful to you anymore? Is He wonderful to you anymore? Do you see that joy in your life, the joy of your salvation? Just as David wrote about, he was joyful. David had a view of redemption even before Jesus came. I pray that I'd have a revelation like the writers of old, that Jesus was real to them. This is something I pray all the time. Please do everyone around you a favor, including yourself, and read the Bible. Read it. If the latest thing you have to quote and the latest revelation you have in your life is from some podcast or from some little meme you read on Facebook, I'm thankful for these avenues. They've been useful to my life. Open a book. Read writers that lived way before you that have Christ at the central point of their life. Just like I quoted earlier from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about us decentering ourselves and putting Jesus, finding ourselves in Jesus' story. Today you can find yourself in that story. He was born of the Spirit. And I pray even now you feel the Spirit of God moving on your heart. The kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, a change of thinking moving in your heart and your mind. That's what he wrote about. This man gave his life for his faith. The prisoners around him and the guards at his jail cell say, I've never heard a man pray like that, even up until the day of his execution. He lived, I think, a few, maybe 30 years, maybe 33 or 30 years. It was almost identical to the life of Jesus. And World War II was against the Nazi regime. And he wrote texts that imprisoned him. Guys, our faith is so much more than Sunday mornings. When we gather on Sundays, this should be jubilee. Coming together to hear the word of God and praise his name and lift up adoration to him. This is what it's about. This is what Sunday mornings are. Now, sometimes if you have to limp in here, that's okay. 
man, we'll bring it, man, we're going to love you and pray for you and we're going to bandage you up and say, oh, you've got a wound. Look at this scar. I had that same wound, but God's healed me and this is how he did it. I'm telling you, we'll do that time after time after time again, but this should be the place where you are strengthened to go out and do the work of the ministry. God gave us the great commission. Jesus gave us the great commission. It was not the great suggestion. It's not something he suggested to us that maybe we'll find purpose in making disciples. It's our life. Go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And occupy until I come again. He wants you to do that. You. You right there in the seat. I remember sitting in the seats. I still sit in the seats. And I would think to myself, man, thank God for my pastors. Thank God for them. Man, they're doing it. But then there came a day where I said, man, there are people God wants me to influence. There are people God wants me to touch their lives. And until I took that seriously, I didn't see purpose really in my life like I should have been seeing. I didn't see the addicts that I was supposed to talk to get freed. I didn't see the ones that were lost realize there was a brother that was at home with the father and I just invited them to come back home to be with the father again. That's what God wants to do in your life. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.